Welcome to Three and Out, a West Texas football podcast. I'm Gary Gray. I'm sitting alongside Dustin Pierce, David McReynolds in our comfortable environment. <laughs> Three and Out, what we're going to do here is we're going to talk about high school football, mostly local since we also broadcast yep. for Midland High and Midland League on the radio. Then we're going to move to college football and then we're going to have our last segment where we're each going to bring whatever subject we want regarding football for that week. So three segments, three guys, three topics at the end, three and out. The first thing we're going to do is I'm going to introduce you guys, Dustin and David, and we're going to talk a bit, a little bit about local high school sports and yeah. football in particular. Midland Lee, Dustin. Yeah, let's talk the Rebels. You know, kind of a, a tale of two seasons so far for us, isn't it, Gary? That's exactly for you. Flip. <laughs> But no, we're at a place now with Lee where it looks like we may be on the up and up in the second season of the Clint Hartman era. Um, really, the, the Rebels are much improved. And let's just credit that for a second. Strength is the big one. When the program was inherited, one guy could bench over 300 pounds, now 36. Good, when the program good. was inherited, a f- handful could squat over 400, now 50 plus. Wow. So a lot of strength has been added to these frames, not to mention speed. He said they have this whole mindset called plus one, where you're either getting an extra workout in in addition to what you're already doing for football, or you're playing another sport, plus one. So a lot of guys did track, and that helped a lot of guys get a lot faster. Like Josh Trailer, for example, the running back who in two games is up and over 400 yards with seven touchdowns. He started his sophomore season in track on the JV. He ended as a regional qualifier on the varsity. So he went from running a 4.6 to running a 4.4. So those little things you see a lot pave the way for big things. And so right now, Lee looks really solid offensively, led by Colby Standard. Um, And then a great offensive line where they're rotating in 10 guys up front. 10 guys can play. That's unbelievable. You don't see that a lot in the high school ranks. Uh, two running backs who can play, Josh Trailer, who we've mentioned, Avery Akbar, and then some really good receivers. 6'4", Tyler Madrid, 6-plus, um, Sheldon Bass. You have Grant Brown, who's over 6 foot, and then a couple of slot guys in Felix Hernandez and Jordan McDonald. On the defensive side, they're running a 3-4, and you have a great front line uh, led by a new nose tackle named Javian White. He may be a D1 player, a sophomore named Tracy Mackey, and then some different guys that rotate in and out there uh, at end, including Dadrian Madrid. Then you've got Isaiah Nunez, everyone knows him, 17 tackles in week one, Cougar Rodriguez, the inside linebacker, and then they have a secondary that's really stacked. Uh, Logan Acosta, uh, who got his first start last week, he's a junior. Right now they're missing Trey Jacobo at safety, but he'll be back in hopefully this week or the following week. Coach thinks he's a D1 player. Uh, And then their kicker also plays some receiver. He's a sophomore named Loic Fungi. He's from Cameroon, and he's really good. He looks like Michael Irvin out there. He's caught two touchdown passes as well, one for 46, one for 53. So that's what the Rebs look like. We're really excited. They host El Paso El Dorado this year. Should be a great game against a D1 quarterback, mind you. That's right. So let's talk about Midland High for a little bit. David and I do those games. Midland High, also a tale of two seasons. Midland High started out 0-2, lost at El Paso Franklin, and then last week here at home against Montwood. Midland High, David, a very, very young team, 
brand new head coach for them, Coach Tim Aniskavich, who's been the defensive coordinator for a number of years, yeah. has stepped into that role, filling the footsteps of the most successful coach in Midland High history, Craig Yenzer. So let's talk a little bit about Midland High and that that team for this year. Yeah, I think in a contrast to what you hear Dustin say with Colby Standard as a leader, a quarterback leader that they have yeah. on the Rebel team, Midland High's struggle right now is really determining leadership on that team. They're in a quarterback conundrum, if you will, <laughs> That's true. Uh, trying Good to decide word. between two guys. You've got a sophomore in Riggs McDonald, and then you've got Sudden Sapien, the junior, who mm-hmm. has a little more experience but was injured over the summer. And those two guys are really battling it out, and I think the team is trying to figure out who their leader is, and you can see that on the field uh, when you watch them play. They, they seem a bit disjointed. Yeah, I think you're right. You you tack on, you've got two sophomore receivers who play a lot in this. Mm. They've got about six to eight receivers that rotate in the mm. entire game. A sophomore place kicker, uh, who also he's also responsible for kickoff duties. Now you've got a line that's pretty experienced. Is pretty that's pretty much the strength of that offensive team. But you're right, it's an offense trying to find their identity and just where they belong. Well, those two quarterbacks are different as well because Riggs is a pocket passer. Sudden Sapien can move. He's mobile. So it makes a difference for that line. They don't have to know who they're, blo- who they're blocking for, what kind of a quarterback do they have behind them. That's right. fair. Um, so that it causes a lot of confusion, I think, yeah. for them. But on the other side of that, on the receiving side, the coach mentioned that uh, they're having trouble finding guys that are willing to make plays and catch the ball and make something happen out in the field. Mm-hmm. That was a big part of their team last year. They were explosive offensively because mm-hmm. they had receivers that could catch the ball and do something with it. And he said they're struggling this year to find receivers that will also step up. And they had a receiving core last year that had been on the field for two and three years sometimes. So yeah, these guys, guys are pretty much Marion. Oh, yes. And, and two of them are, are playing college ball. That's now. exactly right. So yeah. that makes a big difference. On the defensive side of the ball, you've got Stetson Abney, Smith Esman, mm. too. You've got a defensive end and a linebacker who are just phenomenal yeah. and are showing that. Defensive backs, as we talked about the other day, are lacking a little bit and need some work. They have athleticism with Josh, Josh Acre, a tremendous athlete, but not a lot of experience there. We saw that last week. They got burned you know, for a lot of touchdown passes against uh, Montwood. That's right. Montwood's quarterback threw eight touchdown passes, five to the same receiver. So uh, the, uh, one big thing missing, I will say, is Jacoby Thornton, first-team all-district cornerback last mm-hmm. year, who was supposed to see 80 to 90 plays a game going both ways. He's out for the year. So that's been a big loss for Midland High, I think. Yeah, we're seeing that play out on the field. The, the secondary just really got picked apart. If they, uh, the run game really didn't have anywhere to go. The defensive line's stout. But uh, the pass game, uh, they, they're going to be able to pass on Millen High. They don't have the secondary step up. So let's move to District 2-6A and talk about that for just a little bit. You've got five teams that are undefeated, 2-0. Amarillo-Tascosa, mm-hmm. Lee, as we discussed, San Angelo Central, Odessa Permian, Odessa High School. Yeah, undefeated at 2-0. You know, they snapped a 15-game losing streak, losing streak rather on the road against Monterey. And it's crazy how it happened. Did you hear about I this? Did. Go ahead. So there was a bad snap on a punt. Monterey's ready to punt it away just to kind of give the ball back to Odessa High. Time runs out. Bad snap. Odessa High recovers in the end zone. Scores. Done. 
Game over. Game. And they win. And then they come back and they beat a good Amarillo high team that's now in 5A. But still, that's a team Lee scrimmaged and Coach Hartman said, that's a good team. We'll keep scrimmaging them. They're challenging us. So so we'll see what happens. If it's Odessa high for real, you know, maybe they can contend for that fourth playoff spot. I'm not really sure. I would have to say the favorites are obviously going to be San Angelo Central. Absolutely. Quarterback coming in. Yeah, Maverick McIver. He's uh, the... Seed of a UT football yeah, Rick, player, I guess we could say it that way. Rick McIver. And and what's happened out at Central is they've been able to build a program, kind of like what Abilene High has done. Abilene High may be a little bit down this year, but you know Abilene High kind of enjoyed a decade's worth of dominance. I think we're seeing that at Central as they go into year five, maybe even year six of success. Same with Permian, Steve Steen, the quarterback. Permian did not make the playoffs last year. Had a little bit of a struggle, but I think look for them to succeed. Yeah, Permian started high, if you'll remember. You know, they were undefeated, then they got into district play, and they struggled a little bit and kind of sputtered out toward the end. They had some injuries, too. Their quarterback's a Navy commit, so look for him to lead that offense. I think uh, Junior, junior, the running back, I can't remember his last name. Brother Miller. Yeah, Brother Miller. I'm thinking Junior Miller, the former Lee yeah. Professional uh, tight end. There you yeah. go. Brother Miller. So look for that name to come up a lot. Tascosa, we think, uh, definitely a contender. We think the bottom of the uh, of the district will most likely be friendship. We certainly hope mm-hmm. it's not a team, one of our aforementioned uh, local teams. So that's sort of District 2A for you. Greenwood, new coach there. They've started off 2-0 and and are on a roll. Hey, and real quick to mention that game. Greenwood won 49-14 against a Brownfield team that has an Oklahoma State commit at quarterback. Is that right? So that's a big win for them. Yeah, so Greenwood beats Snyder at Snyder, hosted Brownfield, beat them, as you said, and then they're going to take on shallow water there this weekend. Local school Trinity, they're uh, up to 11-man. I think they were there years ago, but they're finding out some of the difficulties with 11-man football. They've lost to Denver City and – I'm not sure what they did against. Well, they were supposed to play Rankin, it says, but they played All Saints Episcopal, and that was a loss. They're going to skip this week, and then they go to Buena Vista, so we'll probably talk about that next week. Midland Christian uh, beats 6A El Paso Eastwood, first game of the of the year. Then they travel to Brock, and I think Brock was ranked number two in 3A. Well, Brock hadn't lost a home game in four years. Is that right? Yeah. And Midland Christian just wallops. So so let me tag in on that. Here's kind of the thought circulating through my head. You know, a lot of people have asked questions like, when is Midland High and Lee going to get back to the dominance that we saw in the early 2000s? Okay, keep that central and then let's go to the periphery. Think about how successful Midland Christian is. Think about Trinity has 11 men now. Think about how successful Greenwood has been. There's a lot of other options for school, for football, for life that wasn't here when Midland High and Lee were dominant. That's right. And so I just, I kind of want to just put that out there on this podcast that those are all viable options for school and for athletics for students. Back in the day when Lee was dominating, Midland Christian was six man, as was Trinity. Or they were very small beginning their transition into 11-man. Yeah, that's a good point, and that might be a topic of conversation that we want to have is can we compete again at the state level at 6 I think that's football? for next week. All right, yeah. perfect. So this week, Midland Christian is hosting El Paso America's its homecoming, another 6A school. So conceivably, they could start with their first three games beating two 6A schools and Brock. 
So it could be an unbelievable year for them. We hope so. We hope all these schools succeed out here. Let's talk a little bit about UTPB local, but now we have a college team for the second Yeah, year. let's start talking college football. You know, it's been a rough go for UTPB. They're in year two of the program. Justin Kerrigan's the head coach, an amazing uh, man. Um, so far, UTPB started with Sol Ross State, a Division three school. Um, and that same conference that Hardin-Simmons and McMurray play in, the ASC out in Abilene. And they lost that game, really struggled to solidify a quarterback. Caden Coots started, a few other guys rotated in. Then the following week, they played their first D1 opponent in Lamar University. It was 10-6 to at the end of one, but then it kind of got ugly, and Lamar went on to win 72-6. to Again, UTPB, it seems, hasn't quite found their identity yet. You know, 141 offensive yards, they only passed for 74. Um, they had seven penalties. Only converted one-third down. Just really kind of struggled in that football game. Uh, so they're going to be on the road against West Texas A&M this week. And another thing to note for them, their homecoming week is coming up uh, October the 9th. So that's kind of interesting. Really, the game's on the 14th, but it starts on the 9th. And UTPB starting a week of it, trying to make homecoming a big deal. I think more than anything, I'm excited to see UTPB develop that football culture the campus to get that football culture. It changes what life looks like on campus. Um, and again, it may take five years to build this program, if not a decade. So be patient, but uh, UTPB has football, and that's at least fun to note. Now, did you not say they led the league in attendance last year? Last year they were number two, number two. in Division two football, as far as attendance goes, 12,000, around 12,000. I'm not going to give you exact data, but around 12,000 was their uh, average. That's amazing. Isn't that crazy? Well, that's going to help with recruiting, which is the secret for them, is to establish that culture around here in West Texas where they can keep talent here and then attract talent from outside the area. Well, and they're also they also have plans in motion right now for locker rooms and some new things. So, they're trying. They're trying, but what they're going to have to do is now the other sports programs are going to be like, "Hey, what about us? You know, the basketball team won the Lone Star Conference yeah. in both the regular season and in the tournament, went to the NCAA. When I was in television back in 09, the baseball team went to the NCAA mm -hmm. playoffs. Mm -hmm. And everyone, so UTPB, we may see kind of a, a bigger plan in motion to just kind of renovate and remodel some of their athletic programs, which I think will help football and everyone involved. And the locker room building is a great segue. I hope they don't hire the same architect as the University of Texas did, because we've seen, as we go into the Big 12 discussion, uh, new fancy locker rooms do not do anything to help you translate the wins, games. do they? Yeah, you don't take the locker room out onto the field with you, or the locker yeah, so let's talk about Texas and the Big 12 tech. Uh, we'll throw in some A&M talk as well. So let's, let's throw that out. I have a feeling that the uh, – because you know those lockers, they kind of look like a time capsule. Yes. I'm sure Texas would have liked to have got inside that and <laughs> gone back to the Mac Brown era against ben Maryland. Young. Yeah, have uh, Vince Young come through that thing. Yeah, so Texas goes out to uh, USC – this week, I, I, I honestly think that could that's be a rough be, week. In yeah, California. Sam Darnold, Heisman Trophy candidates, quarterback for USC. Exactly. So they're going to have a rough go at it, I think. Uh, Texas Tech, they uh, just got by an Eastern Washington team week one. They were off last week. They host Arizona State. We'll see what happens with uh, quarterback U there. 
Yeah, you know, if you remember that game last year, that was an extremely high-scoring affair. Not to mention, <laughs> Arizona State put it on Tech. I mean, they they ran that wildcat formation, whatever they call that. Maybe they call it the Sun Devil. I don't know, but mm-hmm. they 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 pitchforked them pretty hard with that. <laughs> However, I was really impressed by Tech. I mean, they beat Eastern Washington, which is a you know a a, a lower one A team. However, or lower Division one team. However, it's a division a lower Division one team that was number one as far as total offensive yards last year. Correct. And Tech looked really good against them. The new quarterback looked great, arm sleeves and all. And so um, it'll be interesting. You never know with Tech, do you? I think what I was most impressed by was their defense, even though it was against a lower Division One team. I get that. But you held somebody to 40 points. (laughs) Yeah, you you held them. It was a big deal, yeah. (laughs) So... Uh, Louisiana Lafayette goes to A&M. They're not Big 12, but we always want to talk. We've got a lot of Aggie fans out in Midland, of course. Uh, A&M having a struggle this year. The blown lead uh, to UCLA, not playing really good at home against Nickel State last week. So what's your biggest surprise of the year in the Big 12? Baylor. Baylor? Yeah. Losing to Liberty and UT San Antonio, (laughs) both at home? Yeah, UTSA, that's a... That's a huge, huge win for them in their program to be able to say that they've beat Baylor mm-hmm. and a program that's been trying to build and um, and become uh, a force in Texas college football. I think that's that's huge for them. But I don't know what has happened to Baylor down there. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, there's really not much more to say. I agree. Baylor, I think expectations are high. A new coach. We're going to kind of get rid of some of this bad press, keep moving forward. What's your surprise or your shocker in the Big 12 for this year? So far or to come? Uh, again, Baylor. Okay. Oh, yeah, no no doubt. I, I was agreeing with David. Okay. Yeah, Baylor. I, I just I think everyone thought – I mean, to, there's a difference in starting 0-2 if you're opening losses or against, you know, some Power 5 teams or just Power 5 conferences, rather. Mm-hmm. But when then, you use, lose to Liberty – Who people have never even We heard didn't even of. know they had a football team. Right. Then you lose to University of Texas of San Antonio. The Roadrunners. Yeah, I mean, it just yeah. – it kind of makes you go – it would be the same conversation we'd be having if Texas lost to San Jose State last week. Right. You know? I think the Big 12 is going to be interesting this year. Obviously, the biggest game uh, that's that's set up on a tee is the uh, is Oklahoma State OU. Yeah. Heisman candidates at quarterback with uh, with both of those guys. So that's going to be I'm, – I'm, as much as Dustin and I do not like Oklahoma – the Sooners. Yes. I'm really looking forward to watching that game. Yeah, you know, a lot of people will say that it was a big surprise to them that OU beat Ohio State. I picked Ohio State to win, but it's not surprising. I mean, you have a veteran quarterback. You have veteran skill players. You've got a seasoned team. You've got a brand-new coach who stepped into, like, one of the most sustainable football models with, like, a template for success. I just... You just but oh, you going to be tough. Urban Meyer. You are surprised though that you're surprised that it, you're surprised that they were able to put the pedal to the gas and accelerate the way they did and win thirty-one yeah. seventeen yeah. and in what was a close game for three quarters. Yeah. That's so. a good point. All right, let's get to the three and out portion. Let Dustin. I'm going to start with you. What's your subject this week? Here's the thing. 
I'm all about freedom of speech, freedom of protest. I mean, we live in a country to where you can have freedom of speech. You can rightfully protest things that you don't agree with. What I do disagree with, though, is the way that people have been protesting in the NFL. Protesting in a very passive way, like taking a knee, which does not pass on anything of value to the next generation. Because ultimately, what it tells the next generation is that if you don't like something, you just don't participate. Rather than, if you don't like something, you can still honor the tradition that's gotten you there, that gives you the opportunity to protest test and you can actually come up with a solution. Wow. Right now, taking a knee and saying it's this is the way I'm exercising my right to protest. I'm exercising my right to free speech. Yet, I'm not going to do anything solution-minded outside of this game. I'm just going to not participate. Doesn't do anything. The NFL doesn't help. Honestly, right now, the bigger problem is probably not the players as much as it's the broken NFL system. Mm -hmm. Um, I just think that a professional player has such an opportunity for influence over the next generation. And when you – basically what you're saying, and then I'll stop. You are saying that your right to have freedom of speech – is greater than the right of those who fought for your freedom so that you can actually exercise your freedom of speech. That's a great point. I I sort of look at it as taunting is illegal as the football player. You're going to have a penalty called on you, but you can stand, kneel on the sideline and taunt the United States. Well, that's exactly right. And and on on as far as Colin Kaepernick is concerned, I mean, I I have no nothing against him as a He's person. He's no good. But here's the thing. He's not playing because of what he did on a knee. He's he's not playing because of what he did on two feet, which is not throw very good passes and not read defenses very well. He had a great season, and then beyond that, he just is not that great of a player anymore. There's better options. If the NFL has shown us anything, it's that if you're good, you'll play. If you're not, you won't. So... I go back to what are we passing on to the next generation? You want to protest racism? Great. You want to protest brokenness within the police force? Awesome. You want to protest some divisiveness in our culture? Great. Find positive solutions. Just not participating doesn't do anything for anyone. All right. That's Dustin. David? Well, we're on the same topic of taking a knee. I don't know if this started with Tim Tebow. Or uh, or what? But a Washington State high school football coach, uh, Joe Kennedy, is uh, being punished for taking a knee. So the irony of that is just uh, amazing. Taking a knee at the fifty yard line for a post game prayer, not something mm. he's asking his players to do. Something he's doing himself by himself. By himself. And according to the U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, I mean, this is up to that level of the judicial system. The panel ruled that uh, they had they were justified in suspending this coach after he took a knee, knee and prayed silently at mid midfield after football games. So the deal is, they say he spoke as a public employee, not as a private citizen, and his speech was therefore constitutionally unprotected. So the guy goes after mm. the game by himself, kneels down. To Who knows what he's doing? Silently. We're going to assume he's praying. He may have been... Speaking to his mother. That's right. And now he's suspended. Wow. Yeah. Only in, uh, well. The world is upside hate, down. I'm afraid to say only in the Northwest, but uh, I don't think at the moment you would see that down here in our area of the world. But I sure hope not. 
We're removing statues in Dallas. In well, Dallas, that's right. It's, it's crazy. The world's upside down. Yeah. Wow. It's crazy. Okay, here's mine. We've talked about the uh, the influence of the NFL or yes. lack thereof, yes. the kneeling. The, uh, it, it, every day you read that there's another player that's arrested or something. I just don't mm-hmm. feel like these guys contribute much to society for all they get. I think it's the perfect time for college football to steal some of that viewership and fandom from the NFL. That's good. But here's my problem. College football has to shorten their games. I'm not out driving to the golf course, playing 18 holes, and then driving home, which is about a five-hour ordeal. I'm sitting to watch a college football game. It needs to be about three hours and 15 minutes, and most are about four hours and 15 minutes. I'm not a big Pac-12 fan, as you know, but I'm proud that at least they're experimenting with shorter halftimes and fewer commercials this year in their non-conference games. And I would like to see that passed on because I think, as we've talked about over and over, the college game is extremely more exciting than the pro pro games. Some of that is the blind loyalty of the college student to the coaches instead of the me, me, me mentality. But it's the time to steal those fans, (laughs) if you're listening, you college administrators, but you have to shorten your games. I'm with you. That's going to be a challenge. You know, the things that make the game exciting are some of the things that make the game longer. All the passing, the spread offenses that, That's right. that make the game That's fun right. to watch tend to slow the clock down. you got more scores happening. There's lots of breaks then because of touchdowns, and then there's also incomplete passes. There's just the nature of that fast-paced. It seems fast-paced play-to-play. The number of plays has just skyrocketed in a game. But... The byproduct of that or unintended consequence of that kind of offense means that the games take longer to play. So I, it, it is a longer experience. My side of that argument is it's more exciting to watch. Absolutely. I'll stay tuned into it longer, but there are some, they're going to have some challenges figuring out because the money, that's the places they shorten the game is revenue of commercials, uh, halftime, even if they shorten halftime, that's five minutes less commercial time they have. It's all about the money. Uh, it's all about the money. So that will be uh, an interesting challenge that they face. Okay, there you have it. That's episode one in the books. We're going to try to do this weekly during the football season. It's three and out, so three topics, high school, college, and then the topics of our choice. There's three guys. Make sure that you tune in this week, Friday at 7. That's when pregame starts. Dustin and Luke McNeely will be here in Midland as Lee hosts El Paso Dorado. You can listen on KCRS. A great way is to download the app and listen. David and I will be traveling to DeSoto where Midland High has their work cut off, cut out playing the defending state champs up there. We're on Classic Rock 102.1. That's KFZX. You can also download that app. So for David... McReynolds, Dustin Pierce, I'm Gary Gray. We'll talk to you next week. That's three and out.